Here he is, Father Time, better known as Father History right now because he's uh, recording everything. I don't know if we're going to talk about Billy the Kid today. I don't know if we're going to talk about Bell Star. I haven't a clue what we're going to talk about, but he'll tell us. Good morning, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you doing today? Well, not too bad. I look forward to Tuesdays so I can sit and listen and learn from you. So what's cooking in the world of history? Well, you know, we've talked about some famous people and some not-so-famous not people, and today it's a not-so-famous person. Oh, okay, so we don't, be surprised. we don't know who this guy is, right? What's that? I said we kind of talked over each other, and I apologize. So you said this is a not-so-famous person that maybe not everybody knows about or has heard about, right? I would be surprised if there's hardly any of our listeners that's heard of this person. Okay, well, you've got the floor. So, Go ahead. Okay, Francis Slocum. <laughs> Ever heard of her? Well, I've heard of Francis the Mule. <laughs> <laughs> no relation. Okay. <laughs> nope, no relation. And this is a female, Francis Slocum. Mm. Born in 1773. So we're going way back, uh, 1773 to 1847. And, you know, mostly we do Western history on this show. And, you know, back in those days, I guess that really was considered kind of the west okay you know because of the the indians that were still in that area uh where we're going to be talking but uh anyway uh francis slocum was a five-year-old little girl and uh, if you can picture this she was huddling alone and scared under the stairway of her family's big farmhouse she had just seen her mother snatched up snatch up the baby of the family and hurry outside along with two of the other children, to take cover in some bushes. Mm. So five-year-old Francis had been told to hide indoors. Well, a few minutes earlier, uh, a gunshot had sounded across the farmlands, and this is in Pennsylvania's Wyoming Valley. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Mm, not uh, that much. But the no. Revolutionary War was still being fought between the American colonists and the British soldiers. And uh, Francis uh, was actually, at this point, experiencing an Indian raid. Now, the Indian attacks were common in this area uh, where her dad, uh, who was a Quaker, Jonathan, and her mother, Ruth Slocum, had settled up the farm and raised 10 children. Uh, now, most of the 200 residents of this valley had already been killed or had abandoned their homes out of the fear for their lives, but Jonathan Slocum wasn't afraid of the native Delaware people. So, anyway, the Delawares thought that the Slocums had turned against them and decided to strike. So, a group stormed the farm, and several Indians came into the house looking for food and useful items. Well, they found little Frances hiding, and uh, having seen her toes poking out beneath the stairs, so the raiders carried off Frances and her 12-year-old brother, Ebenezer. Now, also taken was a young boy named Wareham Kingsley, who was a neighbor boy who just happened to be in the Slocums' yard at the time. Now, seeing this, Ruth Slocum and one of her older daughters came out of their hiding from the bushes to plead for their family members to the Indians. And in fact, they pointed out that Ebenezer, uh, her son, had a crippled foot. And so the Indians saw that this was true, and so they let him go. Uh, the Slocums urged the Indians to release Francis, but uh, they obviously didn't do that. So they took this five-year-old little child uh, screaming from her mother and this was the last time that Ruth would see her daughter, and even though she never gave up hope that Francis would return. Mm -hmm. Now, in 1778, it would be 60 years before Francis Slocum would see any member of her family, uh, her birth family, again. She didn't know that the Indians 
actually returned to the farm six weeks later and killed her father and her grandfather. Mm. But uh, remaining members of the family and their neighbors searched for Frances in the weeks and the years to come, but they found no sign of her. Now, six years after the kidnapping, uh, this young boy, Wyrm Keasley, that had been taken also, he found his way back to uh, civilization because they had let him go. But he didn't know what had happened to Francis. So, but there was some relief because he told them that Francis had been treated kindly, that the Indians had given her food, carried her when she was tired, uh, given her moccasins to wear. And, you know, again, if you, I've got a little five-year-old grandson right now, and I'm just thinking of him being taken from his mother and, you know, uh, hopefully being taken care of. But mm-hmm. anyway, Mother Ruth Slocum uh, sent her son, uh, Giles and William, to Niagara Falls in 1784 and then to Ohio. And in both, both places, white people had been, who had been taken as children by Indians had been let go, and they were actually searching for their families. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Slocums didn't find Francis either time. Now, the brothers looked for a girl with a missing fingertip because Francis had been involved in a farm accident as a young girl. Okay. He'd actually uh, lost part of the, the end of one of her fingers. So the members of the Slocum family continued to travel New York, Ohio. They talked to children who had survived capture by Indians, but they just couldn't find any information about Francis. Well, Ruth Slocum, the mother, died uh, about 28 years after the dis- disappearance of her little girl. And, but she asked her children uh, to continue to look for their lost little sister. Well, half a century later, 50 years later, and several hundred miles from the time and place of Francis's kidnapping, on the banks of the, and I'm going to get this right, Mississippi River. Oh, easy for you to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, a trader, an interpreter named James Miller, suggested uh, he, he was with a companion, an Indian, Indian agent named uh, Colonel George Washington Ewing, hmm. that they seek lodging for the night at the home of a white woman, woman living among the Miami Indians. Now, that night, two women served dinner, and Ewing talked with one of their husbands. Uh, However, it was an elderly woman also at the table who most interested him. Uh, They had good conversation uh, in the language of the Miami and was kind of surprised when she signaled that she wanted to talk to him later when everybody had fallen asleep. Well, the story that Ewing heard was remarkable. This old woman told him that she was a white woman who had been taken from her family by Indians. Now, her memories were distant and few, but in six decades, she had not forgotten her name or the image of her father or the family's big house by the Susquehanna River. She also remembered small details about her her brothers and sisters. Her Miami name was Maconaqua, and the old woman revealed that she had been born to a white family as Francis Slocum. Mm -hmm. So here we are 50, 60 years later, and this guy is meeting Francis Slocum. Now, Francis... Uh, had you know she was kind of rough looking she'd been living and working outdoors but she wasn't unhappy she actually had a pretty good life okay uh, when she'd gotten to the village when she was five years old an older Indian couple whose own child had died they adopted her when she'd arrived at their camp with the Indian raisers well she'd had a happy childhood uh, they moved quite a bit as the Indians often did uh, through the Pennsylvania Ohio Michigan Uh, near the Niagara in Canada, uh, kind of ended up in the Fort Wayne, Indiana area. And uh, her Miami husband, his name was Shepakona. Oh, boy, am I glad you, I'm glad you really took some time and said that carefully. 
Yes. Uh, I'm going to have to repeat that, too, so I hope I can pronounce it again. Oh, I am, too. She was a war chief at the Osage Village. But anyway, her marriage had produced four children, and she had two sons that had died, but she had... Uh, um, uh, but at this time, she had three children. Well, Frances asked this Colonel Ewing not to tell anybody about this until after she died, because she was afraid that she would be taken away uh, again from her Indian family, oh. uh, her Miami family. But uh, she did want to share her story with someone before she died. Well, this story was too exciting for Ewing to keep secret, so he tried to contact uh, the old woman's relatives, and he wrote down what Slocum had told him, mailed it to a Lancaster, Pennsylvania uh, area asking that the letter be delivered to anyone with the surname of Slocum. Mm-hmm. Well, the postmaster thought it was a strange thing to ask, so he just put it away. And about two years later, another postmaster found this letter and took it to the local newspaper. Well, the letter was published, and a friend sent a copy of this article to Joseph Slocum, who was Francis's younger brother. Uh-oh. Now, it had been almost 60 years since the kidnapping. But this incident had not been forgotten. The family had promised their mother that they would keep looking for their sister. So uh, Brother Joseph, Brother Isaac, and his sister Mary traveled. uh, And again, here they are all in their 60s, you know. But they set out for this Miami village, which is near the present-day Peru, Indiana. And I, again, I don't know where that is really. But uh, when they got there, the brothers explored the town, and they contacted a merchant by the name of James Miller. Well, when Miller met Joseph and Isaac, he immediately connected them to Francis because there was a huge uh, family resemblance. Okay. Well, Miller took the Slocum brothers to the village to see Francis, and after 60 years, Francis no longer spoke English. Oh. And she was pretty skeptical because that these men were her brothers because other white people had come and tried to claim that they were her long-lost family. But Joseph and Isaac told Francis that they recognized her by her missing fingertips. Mm-mm. Well, Francis warmed up to the men and invited them to her home, and through an interpreter, most likely this James Miller, the merchant, Francis described her life among the Delaware and the Miami people, and she had distant memories of her abduction, uh, but she didn't like to talk about it. And she remembered other children who were taken from the neighboring farms in Pennsylvania, uh, two of them, she said, had been killed because they cried constantly. And, and I've heard that before, that, uh, you know, they take some of these little kids, and if they're a little bit fussy or ornery, they just do away with them. My. But eventually, Francis learned the language of her captors and, uh, in the Delaware tribe. Well, Slocum's wanted their sister return, to return east with them for a visit with their family, but Francis didn't want to go. She told her husband before, before he died that she did, would not leave her Indian family and friends. And she also said she wouldn't know how to behave. She'd been all these years with the Indians. Uh, I mean, she was basically an Indian, really. Um, but Francis did travel back into town where her sister Mary waited, and I guess the first visit was kind of brief. They didn't really take to each other right off the bat but the next day Frances and her children came back into town and they stayed for three days and Frances still didn't want to talk about her capture very much uh, for whatever reason but anyway after the reunion they all returned to their homes and uh, anyway a few years later George Slocum who was a nephew to Frances uh, visited and and actually the following year he moved to live near Frances and her family in uh, her Miami family Anyway, he would come to hear a lot about her life, including information about her marriages. And uh, he wrote some of this down, which I think is invaluable when somebody actually writes something down. Mm -hmm. But uh, he quoted Mary, that Mary said that 
Um, my father was a Delaware, and I thought I should marry a Delaware. And she said, this Indian came and wanted me to be his wife. And my father said, well, okay. Uh, he asked the Indian, do you love this squaw? And he says, yes, I do. And so he let him get married. But Francis said he was mean, so she went back to her father. Well, the Indian came back and said, you know, I'll be better. I'll take care of you. So she went back with him a second time, but he was still mean and uh, probably beating on her. And so she went back to her father, and basically she never saw this first husband again. Mm -hmm. I think she may have gone into battle and then killed. Mm -hmm. But anyway, there was tension between the white settlers and the native groups back then. And uh, Frances was growing into womanhood, and uh, but she still felt the tension because she was a white woman among the Indians. But they accepted her, and uh, anyway, uh, one day uh, she says that her and her parents were going down to a river, and they came to a place where they, there had been a lot of fighting, and there were a lot of dead people, uh, Indians. And she said, uh, we saw one young man who was dressed like a chief. He was wounded badly, but they wanted to help him, and they did what they could to heal his wounds. Well, he stayed with, with them for quite a while, and during that time, Francis and this Indian chief spent a lot of hours together, and he was of the Miami tribe. And, uh, of course, the Indian parents were Delawares. But, anyway, Francis fell in love with him, and he fell in love with her, and so they were married. And uh, so Francis and her husband, Shippo... Here we go, folks. Look out. Everybody cover up your children's ears. He's going to try it again. <laughs> I'm going to give this a try. Shepakona. I think that's right. I hope so. Anyway, they went back to Fort Wayne to live, and uh, when her parents died, the Miami Indians became her people. Well, Shepakona and Francis moved with their first child. Uh, they found a nice place to live. Uh, they had a couple more sons. Uh, the family grew corn, squash, fruits. They raised horses, and they lived a pretty peaceful, hardworking life. Okay. And, and, you know, you don't hear a lot about that, but some of the Indians... Uh, you know, they weren't all killed or sent to reservations. Some of them had a very nice, pretty nice life. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, Francis told the Slocum, she said, the Indians knew I was a white woman, and some of the traders knew that I was, but they didn't want to know where I came from, and I was the only white woman among the Indians, and most of them didn't pay any attention. Mm -hmm. Well, in 1840, the Miamis were made to give up their land uh, and finally uh, to move, and uh, but Francis didn't want to move. So she asked her white brothers what she should do. Well, they said, you need to talk to the congressman as a white woman. So in 1845, she asked the U.S. government uh, for special consideration, and uh, she argued that uh, uh, she and her offspring should be allowed to continue to live on a section of land that was granted to them. Well, the congressman supported her, and the U.S. Congress actually granted her request to keep her and her family on the property that she had uh, been given. Okay. To keep. So, anyway, uh, George Slocum, the nephew, he brought his family to live with Francis, like I say, and uh, he talked with Francis about Christianity, and Francis uh, said she believed in a great spirit who had given them blessings while they lived and would reward them in the afterlife, and it was this good spirit that caused the maple trees to give the maple syrup and sugar, and the same spirit that caused the corn to grow and bring forth the good ears, and anyway, in 1847, uh, Francis uh, was involved in a, an all-night dance as part of a Thanksgiving celebration, and she was 76 years old. And anyway, afterwards, she became sick. She died in 1847. She had a Christian burial. She was buried with a brass kettle 
and a cream pitcher next to her husband and sons in the Indian Cemetery uh, near her home. I'll be. And uh, they, a pole with a white flag was raised over her grave uh, so that the great spirit would know where she was. Oh, man. And you did a lot of research on that. That's the story of Frances Slocum, which... Like I say, I'll be surprised if anybody's heard about her. You know, one of the things that I was, one of the things, we have a little problem with a delay here this morning. I don't know. Are you on a cell phone this morning? No, oh. Phone. oh, okay, boy, I'm, I'm having a little delay. I apologize for that. One of the things I noticed, uh, and I wanted you to comment on this, is that uh, in history, uh, some of the stories that you always go through on our weekly uh, meeting right here, some of the names, some of the old names are almost non-existent. I was reading a, a story someplace in a newspaper about a month ago that some of the old names like Oscar and Homer and Ebenezer, like you had here this morning. Some of those old names are almost completely extinct. Would you agree? Yes. Um, and me personally, I like uh, I like some of the old-fashioned names, you know, Samuel and uh, Betsy and uh, yeah. Sarah, some of, those, some of the old Bible names even, you know. Uh, one thing that's interesting, too, and I didn't mention this in the story because I couldn't pronounce it, but uh, her Delaware name was uh, i can't see it here but it was a different name and then when she went to live with the miamis uh that's when they changed her name to another indian name no was it the miami heat or was it the miami (laughs) dolphins uh i think it was shaquille or something oh okay (laughs) (laughs) and and, you know one other terminology that you use doc um it was the word squaw and there in the last five six years there's been such an uproar by the pc police that we need to eliminate certain words and that they're offensive and everything the word squaw is and correct me if i'm wrong but i believe it's an algonquin indian word and it meant nothing derogatory it referred to a brave's wife as a squaw why all of a sudden in the last couple of years do you think that the pc police have tried to turn it into a dirty connotation well you know you you and i have talked about this before yeah that squaw is is a uh, uh not a derogatory term by any means mm-hmm. it's, it's actually a uh, uh i guess really an honorable name for a woman who is the wife of an Indian chief. That's or, right. Uh, we, we have talked about it regarding uh, some of the mountain men. Uh, and some of those squaws, I'm going to use that word because that's what it was, They, when they went back with their mountain men husbands to uh, civilization, they were still referred to as a squaw, but many of them were wealthy. They were uh, associated with some of the, the higher-ups, if you want to call them that, of the communities. And, you know, it, it kind of bothers me a little bit that uh, um, they want to change the name, I can't remember where it was, a, a place called Squaw Peak somewhere. That's right, right here in Idaho, there wasn't there a Squaw Butte that they wanted to change, I think. Is that what it was? I Squaw think so, Peak yeah. Something. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have a hard time with that because, if, you know, if they really knew their history, they'd realize that it's not a derogatory term. That's right. It's uh, an, an honorable name when you refer to them as a squaw. Absolutely. So. And we will not, and we've already touched on it this morning, both Dr. History and myself have refused under public pressure to ever be politically correct. 
<laughs> no, I, you know, history is what it is. And, uh, uh, I mean, you can't uh, sweep it under the carpet. And uh, one, one thing I will say, I, I did find a book about uh, captives, uh, white captives, uh, a year or so ago. And it went into some pretty gruesome details right. of some things that happened. And it was it was bad enough that I did not want to have it on this show. Well, and you know, like one day, to, again, I apologize for the delay. I, I just can't stand this electronic delay we've got this morning for some reason. But on one program, you backed me up out of the bus pretty hard. So I appreciate your comments this morning. Thank you. <laughs> I don't remember that. I do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you always do such a wonderful job in the studies of these shows. And like last week, Billy the Kid, this week talking about Frances Slocum. I had never heard of the lady before, and it sounds like she had a wonderful life on really two frontiers, the white frontier and the Indian frontier. And uh, yeah. what about next week? What have you got planned for next week real quick? You know, it's a secret that, that I don't even know yet. Oh, well, unwrap the parchment and read it, and I'll look forward to having you back on, my dear friend. <laughs> That'll happen about next Saturday or Sunday. All right. God bless you, Dr. History. Dr. Ken Turner, have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. You have a good day, Zeb. All right. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.